following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 882 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore. Joined today, as I always am, the lovely, talented scholarly Brady Page. It's nice to be doing a regular episode after the debate episode, after the interview that we put up with Robert P. Jones Mm -hmm. from the Public Religion Research Institute. And if you haven't listened to that interview, definitely listen to it. Or if you prefer to watch it, you can watch it on Jesse's YouTube channel. And if you haven't left a comment, you can enter the contest to win one free book by commenting before noon on Saturday, September 2nd, Eastern Time, when we will be randomly selecting from those comments one lucky winner to get a copy of the book. Someone asked, is it signed? We didn't think of that. We should have had him sign it right. while he was here. That Total would have, dumb shit. That would have been nice. Right. Uh, but no, it is not signed. Yeah. So unfortunately, no. Have you looked in it? I guess I haven't searched the book, but I... Well, let's say maybe signed, probably not. It's it's not signed. <laughs> I don't think it's signed. Um, before we get into the meat of the show, though, we went on another podcast, so we want to plug that appearance. It is Indecent with Kiki Anderson. It was a good time. It was a great time. Very nice, funny. Kiki Anderson's great. Check out the podcast, Indecent with Kiki Anderson. We specifically talked about both of our upbringings, which we don't talk about, I mean, in as it in as much depth as we did on this episode and uh about white nationalism and just the radicalism of the Repu- republican party topics we do talk a lot about but it's nice kind of sometimes to to just be asked questions and not uh, have to put on the show yes a- as it were yeah so <laughs> we will link to that in the description in the show notes so that you can check it out we wanted to give a follow-up on sweepy i know some people don't like hearing about our personal lives they want us to just get to it so if that's you you can just skip ahead just skip ahead or there's an off button <laughs> There's an off button on whatever device you're listening to the show. Yeah. So we talked about the... Is that how audience capture works? Um, I think we could be a lot more successful if you weren't constantly telling people to fuck off. That might be, might be the case. All right. So, I'm learning, everybody. So we talked about the very tragic flooding at the, the doggy daycare that happened in D.C. where, where Sweepy was just one day prior before the, the flooding happened and killed the dogs 10 dogs and she actually also got kennel cough while she was there yeah we didn't know it because it it incubated for like uh several days and then last weekend got so bad we brought her to the dog the vet er yes i describe it as she was basically lifeless At, at one point i picked her up and normally she is full of energy, climbs up on my body when I'm picking her up, and is very, you know, alert. And when I picked her up, she just was a 40-pound blob of of skin. It was scary. Yeah, and I'm like, this is not good. We need to take her in. So we actually ended up at the emergency vet, 
And boy, do they try to take as much money as possible. Oh, yeah. Me. They really want to soak you. I think they have a $2,000 minimum for each person. Like, that's their goal. They didn't get that from us, but yeah. that's their goal. <laughs> well, you also went through the itemized list. It's like, what's this $177? Miscellaneous. Miscellaneous is what they called it. They also wanted $400 to test, like, which type of virus or the source of the virus. I'm like, I don't care about this. I just want... The antibiotics. Yeah, cure the virus. All I want is the antibiotics. Please just give them to us. (laughs) So it was like a five-hour ordeal or six-hour, I don't know, all day. But she's better? She's doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cough is almost completely gone. Yeah. Um, She's back to her (laughs) normal rambunctious self. So we appreciate all of the, the concern that some people did see the posts on social media. And they reached out to ask. And that is the update. Yes. Yeah. So we want to take this time to thank our Patreon supporters because we could not do this show without the Patreon supporters. But wait, don't skip ahead. I know that if you don't want to hear us thank the supporters, you skip ahead because I actually have a housekeeping item that involves Patreon. Mm. So they have a new feature where you can sync Spotify and Patreon together which allows the Patreon-specific podcast feed to go to Spotify. Hmm. So this means that if you are a Patreon supporter, you can sync your Spotify, if that's what you use to listen to podcasts, with your Patreon account and access the Patreon-only content directly in Spotify. Is that right? Yeah, so huh. I, I turned that on and... Hey, by the way, that's legitimate surprise because I forward you those emails. <laughs> And then I like, oh, she'll take care of that. I then I didn't learn. Yeah, well, and the the previous way that this was handled is either you had to listen to the Patreon only content through Patreon, or you had to put the RSS feed link in whatever podcatcher you use to listen to the show. Yeah, yeah. But now this makes it a little more direct, where it it, it is just syncing directly with Spotify yeah, and that's gives great. you that feed directly. So the once a month bonus content that we put out, which we're getting ready to record one for September, since we're now in September. Happy September for everyone who celebrates with Earth, Wind, and Fire fans. And <laughs> you're not wearing an Earth. Earth, Wind, and Fire shirt. You're wearing a Donny Hathaway shirt. Well, this is blasphemous. Okay, I don't wear Earth, Wind, and Fire gear every day. And what about <laughs> I know you'd expect on that. On the 1st of September. Oh, yeah, I do feel guilty. Do you about remember? That. So <laughs> we just turned on that feature. So check that out. It yeah. should make things easier for those on Patreon. Now let's get to thanking our new Patreon. Still supporters. don't skip ahead. This is really important <laughs> stuff. All right. Gigia. Gigia. Will E. Will E. E. Alyssa. Alyssa. Kristen A.S. Kristen A.S. Claudia G. Claudia G. Jeanette Marie. Jeanette Marie. Lisa M. Lisa M. Evan K. Evan K. Paula M. Paula M. Matt M. Matt M. Cammy P. Cammy P. David A. David A. Christine M. Christine M. David G. David G. Michelle P. Michelle P. James J. James J. Sue W. Sue W. And listen, this is not a new Patreon supporter. This is, is this Jill. This is Jill. <laughs> But Jill has really been going through it. Man. Because Jill does not live in the U.S. And they made things complicated for Jill in terms of the new Patreon changes that they just had, where all the payments were being rejected. I think the problem is solved now. Is that right? 
well, yes, based on an email I got today, not from Patreon, by the way. No response from them still about about Jill. Yeah, but thanks a lot, Patreon. Yeah, but Jill solved her own problem and really went through it to ensure that she is still supporting us. So special shout out to long term supporter, long time listener. Jill, we love Jill. Yeah, awesome. We love all of our patrons, we love, though. Well, we love Jill especially because Jill puts up with my shit. <laughs> I think Jill's here for you, mm. and like I'm just like, ugh, the fucking guy she has to get through. Oh, if there was a feature on her podcatcher that would allow her to like double time through my portion of talking and then normal speed yours, Jill would do that. And You're- I love Jill for it. I'm not shitting on Jill. I fucking love Jill. You're just trying to get an email about how much Jill loves you. No, I'm not. You're fishing. You're fishing. You're fishing. Yes. All right. So thank you to each and every one of our Patreon supporters. We we really could not do the show without you. We really would not do the show without you. (laughs) If you stopped supporting the show, we would stop doing the show. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for for keeping the lights on. Patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. If you are interested in becoming a patron. Yes. So I'm going to read an email. We take listener communication on topics that we've talked about on our previous episodes, on, you know, episodes 100 episodes ago, whatever you feel like writing to us about, we take listener communication, 657-464-7609, or I doubt it at dollamore.com. This listener communication comes in the form of an email. So we are going to get to that right now. And it comes at a really good time. We'll get to that after we read it. Hi, Brittany and man. And man. All right. (laughs) I'll take it. I've been listening since episode 36. Wow. That, I think that might be one of my favorite episodes. What episode is it? It's either a Ryan Bell interview episode, which I think it's 31, that one. But 36, I think, is where we did uh, real or randomly generated Oh, the Deepak Chopra. Yeah, and where we talked about, I think, Dr. Phil doing his, or Dr. Uh, Oz. Oz doing his Reiki hand movement shit over people's open hearts. Mm. I think that's that episode. Okay. Anyway, it's a good one. Well, it's a long time ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. I've been listening since episode 36, and I wanted to add to the conversation for the first time. We love this. I know Brittany has shared a lot on this topic, and I hope I can offer more to the story. Sorry if it's long. I don't know why I subjected myself to the Republican debates last night. It was everything I knew it would be. The most frustrating part for me personally was what they had to say about abortion. Again, no surprises, but still. I had no idea how pressing it was to save all the babies being aborted moments before full-term birth. I'm sure no one on that stage has really known someone in that situation because it doesn't happen. But I am 100% sure they do all know someone who has terminated a pregnancy after 15 weeks. That number kept being thrown out there as if it was a thing we should all easily agree on. I have always supported the right to choose, believing that I would never choose abortion for myself. When Roe was overturned, I knew what it could mean. I was angry on behalf of all the women whose stories I knew were coming, but I could never have guessed that within the year, at the age of 47, I would find myself in a Planned Parenthood having an abortion. Add me to the list of women who terminated a wanted, although very unexpected, pregnancy due to medical issues. Those medical issues don't show up during the first trimester. In fact, many do not have the information needed to make that kind of decision until after their 20-week scan. It's just not possible to know. 
My genetic screening came back with some red flags at 12 weeks, which kept us from announcing, but the 13-week scan looked normal, which meant we needed an amnio to confirm anything. My doctor would not risk it until 16 weeks, parenthetically pushed back an extra week due to her vacation. I spent that time researching stories like mine, hoping for good news, but knowing it was unlikely. We didn't actually know what we were dealing with until I was 18 weeks along, and even that was vague, but enough, and I had to act quickly. Thankfully, I live in Illinois. Pro-lifers really hate our state. Our governor is moving full speed ahead, embracing our new role as the top Midwest destination for abortions. Governor Pritzker recently announced an investment of over $23 million toward improving abortion access in Illinois, including a hotline for complicated cases. We passed a bill to hold pro-life centers accountable for deceptive practices. We prohibit using our technology to track women seeking health care across state lines. But even in Illinois, an abortion isn't easy. I was lucky to get an appointment, then I had to travel an hour and a half. At 17 weeks, it's a two-day procedure. I was billed over $2,000. The time off, two days out of town, needing a ride home, someone to care for our disabled daughter, the expense, having to ask for help, the awful, overwhelming idea of simply having to do it, the urgency. I cannot express enough how impossible it all felt. I was sure I couldn't do it, but I had no choice when faced with the alternative. I am a happily married 47-year-old woman living in Illinois, and I felt this way. I understand why someone would change their mind or look for any other solution. Of course they do. My hometown Planned Parenthood once offered the pill, which is only an option in the first trimester. I say once offered because that location closed in January when it was firebombed. But what a difference it would have made if they had been open and had provided surgical abortions. I also couldn't stop thinking about how different it was a decade ago when I lost a baby at 17 weeks. I had gone in for my regular appointment and found no heartbeat. My doctor scheduled a DNC at the hospital, down the street, covered by insurance. If my doctor could have done this now, she would have, but there was still a heartbeat. When they say abortion is healthcare, that idea doesn't go far enough. I'm not grateful for the treatment I received this time. I'm only grateful that it wasn't worse. These leaders in politics, who do represent the hearts and minds of so many around me, are singling out women like me in their abortion arguments. We're the ones having abortions after 15 weeks. It's me. And I know my story is a common one. When I see friends in my newsfeed talking about it, I want to tell them about the nightmare I went through this year and ask how they wish my story had ended. I want to make them say it to me, but I don't, because most people in my life have no idea I was even pregnant. So I'm sharing it here instead. Thanks for listening. Jenny. Powerful. It's an unfortunate thing that women who, they have to relive their trauma in order to move the needle, to convince other people that what what is being said is true. Mm-hmm. That Jenny has to relive this in an effort to take care of women who will come after her. Mm-hmm. It's just... Barbaric and wrong that Republicans, time and time and time again, knowing what they know, knowing the fact, maybe not the rank and file, but leaders in the Republican Party, people who actually have a vote in Congress, they know and they act in spite of that knowledge. Yeah. Well, I say this comes at a really interesting time because this is something I've actually been talking with friends about in my personal life. And I often think about the question that we ask people who come on the show for interviews the final question that we ask them, sure. what's the most recent thing you've changed your mind about? And I don't know if this is the most recent, but I would say up until relatively recently, for too long, I would have agreed that it was reasonable 
that there a 20 are... 20-week abortion ban or something. Yeah, that there is yeah. a certain number of weeks and then abortion should be banned. I would have said, uh, yeah, that seems reasonable. Now I would not say that. Yeah. And that's because of stories like Jenny's, but also because of what the data shows. And the percentage of abortions that happen at or after 21 weeks, they're uncommon. It represents 1%. One. Of all abortions yeah. in the United States. And like Jenny shared, typically these procedures cost over $1,000. Sure. They are somewhere that you have to travel to. It's over the course of days. It is only performed by a subset of abortion providers. It's difficult to access. And the reason that people seek abortions after 21 weeks is because of medical concerns. Yeah. Like fetal abnormalities or maternal life endangerment. And so... The other aspect of this is that if you have barriers, if you don't allow people to have access to abortion, then it runs the risk of pushing abortions later in pregnancy. And so people who are concerned about abortions later in pregnancy or who pretend to be for political reasons, you'd think that they would hear this and say, huh, it makes sense that we shouldn't like legislate this. This actually seems like a healthcare issue. Right. And people are not using abortion as birth control. Because yeah. if you are using it that way, it's it doesn't make sense. It's right. costly, $2,000 for the procedure. Right. I mean, please, people are not wanting right. to wait this long. It is. Uh, it, it really does prove that they're not acting in good faith. Because if they really, truly wanted the outcomes that they say they do, they would go about it in a more genuine way, mm-hmm. not in a way that complicates and makes things more difficult for people and puts people in more stress and more um, life-threatening situations. Right. It's cruelty is the point. Well, and they are now going after medication abortion, as we're seeing with these court cases across the country. But that has actually had a role in helping abortions occur earlier in pregnancy. In fact, it's been relatively stable over the past few decades that abortions uh, are most likely to occur before 13 weeks. And that's about 91 to 92, sometimes even 93, depending on what data set you're looking at, of abortions occur. 93%. Yes. Yeah. At or before 13 weeks. Yeah. So the vast majority are occurring before 13 yeah. weeks. And listen, we can't oversell enough when you say the vast majority. The vast, I mean, we're nearing 95%, but they want to legislate and restrict everyone's rights based on a scant percentage of abortions that take place. And even those aren't birth control for the reason of birth control. Right. Which and I'm only dealing with their arguments on their face. Even if it was for birth control, yeah, it's fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, and and most abortions, like I like I was kind of heading toward, they're occurring earlier in pregnancy at or before eight weeks. And they believe this is happening because of access to medication abortion. So when you give people the tools to manage their own life, Mm -hmm. they will make decisions that are best for them. And they don't want to wait right. until 21 weeks. Right. They want to take care of the situation. By putting up roadblocks, though, conservatives make abortions end up being 
past 13 weeks, past 15 weeks, right. rather than giving people immediate access to have an abortion at the earliest moment they possibly can. Right, by putting in waiting periods, by making people look at an ultrasound, by right. whatever the methods are, it's going to delay care. Yeah, clouding people's judgments uh, by giving weirdo Christian nationalist propaganda at these pregnant, crisis pregnancy centers and shit, where they lie to people seeking abortions about what their even what their purpose is right and so i used to hear the phrase abortion any any time on demand and i used to kind of go whoa <laughs> right it's a little radical for me <laughs> and now i'm like no yes absolutely right. abortion on demand anytime because people are not doing this for fun they're doing this because they need it and it's life-saving care end yeah. of story yeah thanks for the email jenny um I can only imagine, I was going to say we know, but I don't know. I can only imagine how much shit that brings up for you. And we very much appreciate you allowing us to use our platform uh, to tell your story. It's, it's awesome. And uh, we hope that it moves the needle even just a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can call, leave us a voicemail. 657 Four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we have an exciting story that people may not care about. I don't know how much people are going to care about it, but I really care about it. I'm well, excited by it. I love that you say it's an exciting story. It's about Jordan Peterson, who is a dipshit. Um, but it is this has far-reaching implications, and I think it is an interesting story, certainly. Yeah. So, exciting. You might be overselling okay, it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so... Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist from Canada who became famous when he started attacking trans people and saying that he refuses to use preferred pronouns. That's basically how he how he got on the map. He also misrepresented a law in Canada saying that it was like forced usage of preferred pronouns. I think that was that was kind of the crux of it. He it in no way was criminalizing someone putting them in legal jeopardy if they didn't use someone's preferred pronouns. Yes. But he acted like, I I just won't do that with his cartoonish goof voice. Yeah, so he has written some books. 12 Rules for Life is really prominent. There's a lot of young men who really like him. You may have heard of him. Maybe you even like him and you're, you're listening to this right now he is a right-wing radical and although he is a clinical psychologist and puts that in his twitter bio he spends most of his time again attacking trans people speaking out against climate change things that are not relevant to his practice telling or fat models that they are objectively ugly he is he is a wild harmful We'll just start there. The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. We'll start there because I find him vile and sinister and hurtful. He is a piece of shit, 
And I know, you know, you're going to come at this from your clinical psychology standpoint, your licensed person standpoint, and uh, we share different opinions. I harbor a lot of, of uh, venom for him. So I think there are some specifics to get into. Basically, let, let's just kind of zoom out really quick. So he has tweeted hateful things, and we'll get to a few of those. He has tweeted hateful things, and in response to that, his licensing board that oversees his clinical psychology license has said, you need to take an education course on how to operate your social media. We need, we're just going to put you through a course because you're saying some things that we feel are out of line with what we do here, with what we right. are representing. And so we want you to go through this course and and stop. If you want to remain licensed as a clinical therapy delivering psychologist, if you want to maintain the license that we give as, a, as an entity, you need to do these things. And we should say he's licensed, but he doesn't practice. And I think he yeah. hasn't practiced for years. So... He, instead of just taking the course and saying, okay, let me do this, he decided to file a court case and fight it, and he lost that case. Mm-hmm. So the the court upheld that it seems reasonable that someone who behaves the way that he does online while calling themselves a clinical psychologist should have to go through an education course and that this is not infringing on his free rights because, quote, when individuals join a regulated profession, they do not lose their charter right to freedom of expression. At the same time, however, they take on obligations and must abide by the rules of their regulatory body that may limit their freedom of expression. And so you may be asking, well, You know, so he's just talking about how he doesn't believe in climate change. That doesn't seem like it should be something that violates the regulatory conditions. Right. Okay, well, how about this? A further complaint about Dr. Peterson's January 2nd, 2022 tweet in which Dr. Peterson responded to an individual who expressed concern about overpopulation by stating, you're free to leave at any point. The further complaint provided a link to a 2018 GQ interview in which Dr. Peterson made a similar comment about suicide. So should someone who is a licensed clinical psychologist be telling people to kill themselves online? I think the answer is clearly no. The answer is clearly no. Listen, (laughs) is he in a profession that is a helping profession or not? Would he say the very same thing that he said to that person? Well, why don't you go kill yourself or you're free to kill yourself anytime? Would he say that sitting across the room from someone in a therapy session? Because if not, then he's acting, especially when he has clinical psychologist in his bio, he's advertising himself as that, not just random Jordan Peterson. Right. It's just, it's vile. Then he also tweeted in May 2022 in a comment about a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition cover with a plus size model tweeting, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Yeah. So he wants to rank how attractive people are, attack their appearance, attack trans people. So he's using his social media in a way that this licensing board says this is a problem. Yeah. And imagine if you know you you have doctors, you have therapists, everyone listening, imagine if you went online and you saw your doctor, your therapist telling people to kill themselves online right. or talking about how trans people are bad and they're ugly. You know? I mean, is that something that you want to see from someone that is taking care of you that is supposed to be like managing and helping you? I wouldn't want that. Like let's even put it in my perspective with with my the the doctor who took out my 35% of my colon and cured my colon cancer. 
I wouldn't want her to be behaving like that. And and she's my surgeon. She's not my mental health professional. Yes. It, there's no way. It would be a deal breaker for me. Sorry. I don't want you inside poking around inside me when you have these kinds of pernicious, hateful, harmful beliefs. Right. So Jordan Peterson's family has gotten in on the grift and his daughter has a YouTube channel and... Jordan Peterson decided to go on his daughter's YouTube channel, Michaela Peterson, to talk about and react to the court decision. I want you to listen carefully to the language that he uses when he's talking about this court case, when he's responding to it, because he's not being fully honest. I mean, I highlighted some of the instances that were specifically listed in this court case that are prompting him to require an education course. And I want you to hear the deceptive way that he explains it. Um, you know, I'm perplexed, I would say, about the situation in Canada. I've been thinking about it this morning. As you know, the, the, the court that we appealed the College of Psychologists decision to decided that the college has, it's within the college's purview to stop me from having any political opinions, as far as I can tell. The, the, um, the decision, which I posted on Twitter and will post in the description of this video, starts out by making a case for the fundamental reality of freedom of speech for Canadians in Canada, and then says, but, and that's always a bad start when you're talking about freedom of speech, but apparently the college has the right to decide that I can be re-educated forcibly with the risk of my license essentially because I made political statements that the members of the college don't agree with. And those, those, those um, opinions involve two criticisms of Justin Trudeau, one criticism of his chief of staff, one criticism of an Ottawa city councillor, and then my objection on Joe Rogan to the climate apocalyptic fear-mongering that idiot tyrants are foisting on the general population. Now, apparently that makes me unprofessional and a uh, disgrace to the profession, such that I am now going to be required, the college can go ahead with this, to put me into a re-education program with their so-called social media experts, and that's also, by the way, a profession that does not exist, until I learn my lesson, whatever that is, regardless of how much time that takes, by their judgment, or they can take my license away. And so the, co the court says, well, of course you have freedom of speech, Dr. Peterson, but because you're a professional, you're bound by your professional organization. And apparently they're not bound, even though they're a government organization, fundamentally, apparently they're not bound by that fundamental constitutional axiom. And so that shows you all you Canadians who are listening and everyone outside of the country who might be the least bit interested in Canada, that shows you exactly what our bloody constitution is worth. So he's trying to make it a free speech issue, saying yeah. that he has simply tweeted political opinions that are outside of what the licensing board agrees with or endorses. And again, uh, just, uh, just criticisms. That's all they are. Just just criticisms. Yeah. Again, it goes further than that. 
And it isn't yeah. just about you having political opinions that are at odds with the licensing board. It's that you're telling people to kill themselves and you're talking about how people are ugly and fat. And just this week, he retweeted a picture from a right-wing radical who sometimes uh, posts pictures of trans people and then asks the audience if they're attractive just to be hateful. Right. Just to have trolls just to feed the trolls. And Jordan Peterson retweeted this and said, I see a beautiful, beautiful woman because that's what my professional college demands I see. Upon pain of losing my license to practice and being branded a disgrace to the profession. Oh. I mean, what a sickening person. What a what a martyr he wants to be. And and listen, it's working because he set up a free speech defense fund on GoFundMe. Wait, 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 wait. Really? Doesn't oh, yeah. he he makes like Forty or fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars a month. Oh, we're gonna get to that. But this GoFundMe is currently almost to seventy-two thousand dollars, <sighs> with a goal of raising two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Who are these people who are giving filthy rich people their money? Well, <laughs> and, and Jordan Peterson. I don't know why he answered this question during an interview, but. During an interview with someone named Martin Wheel on YouTube, I think this was two or two or three years ago, he actually answered the question about how much he makes. And get ready for this. Does this sound like someone who needs a GoFundMe? Look, is, I've said right from the beginning that I'm an evil capitalist. I don't make any bones about it. I'm not ashamed of making money. It's very hard to make money. Can I ask you bluntly how much you make? Um, I make $80,000 a month on Patreon. My book is selling about 20,000 copies a week. I have royalties that probably amount to something approximating $1.50 on each of those. Um, the tours garner about $35,000 to $50,000 an evening. I have a business that's generating, I don't know, um, something in the neighborhood of $200,000 a month for me personally. There's some other smaller sources of income than that. You are making a lot of money out of this. I certainly am. And so are a lot of other people. The grift pays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look. It's a lot of money. I've said this before that we've had people in in our lives who who make jokes about it that if, if we wanted to switch... Like, oh, yeah, I thought, I saw the light. I, I, I turned away from the darkness of, of, of being a progressive and went back to my roots of, of being a Republican and a Trump supporter. We would make untold millions of dollars because people, they, they, they're so desperate to throw their money to these, these hateful fear mongers and just vicious trolls. It's b- very bizarre to me. That's crazy money he's making. Yeah. And listen, again, if it was just the political opinions, I would think that Jordan Peterson has a point that his licensing board can't come after him for having political opinions that result in him denying climate change. I mean, should he be going on Joe Rogan's podcast and talking about it while representing himself as a clinical psychologist? I don't know. It's outside of his scope of practice. I think it does start to get into a kind of a gray area. But when you are attacking people as unattractive, ugly, fat, gross, uh, when you are ratcheting up the level of hatred online, when you're engaging in troll behavior, when you're telling people to kill themselves. I mean, these are things that you 
we would expect more from people yeah. who are licensed professionals who are out there helping other people. We expect more from those people. So either you you want to be a troll online or you want to be representing yourself as a healer, a clinical psychologist, an expert. Right. You have to choose. You cannot be both. So when you're, when the stated objective of your particular licensed profession is to ease the suffering, uh, the mental anguish and the problems connected with, with mental illness... But instead, you're exacerbating them. You're you're pushing people, encouraging people to to kill themselves. It just they shouldn't have given the other chance. They're 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 not being draconian in their measures. They're actually being way way too easy uh, by my account. Yeah, it's just an education course. Yeah, that's all you have to do. What you have to do anyway to maintain your license? Yeah, is continuing education credits. Right. This is just like telling you, hey, stop telling people to kill themselves on Twitter. Ugh. That's all they want you to do is stop telling people to kill themselves on Twitter. He's the worst. And he's also, more importantly, a terrible dresser. Like, what is he wearing with the stupid multi-panel suits? And the he's got one suit you pointed out that has his signature on the lapel. Ugh. So if you <laughs> are a Jordan B. Peterson fan, I would just take some of this into consideration not promote his content not contribute to his gofundme he's making a lot of money he does not need your money yeah so just keep that in mind we'd love to know what you think about this uh 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com let's talk about police behaving badly I think it's a theme that we talk about. Yeah. We need to have a segment. Well, for dick cops or something. Okay. Not people who police dicks, but police who are dicks. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> so, Coffee City, Texas. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's a town of about 250 people. That's why we've never heard of it. But I want you to guess how many police officers are employed in Coffee City, Texas, where there are 250 people. Um, I, I mean, what a normal police department would have? Correct. Two dudes? I mean, that seems... I've, I mean, I've lived in towns not that small, but I've lived in towns like New Meadows, Idaho, that has fewer than a thousand people, and I don't even think it has a police department. So, mm-hmm. 50. 50. 50 police officers are working in a town of two hundred and fifty people. Are that <laughs> that is what is that an eighth, <laughs> a quarter of the. It's a not good, and <laughs> I, I want to give a shout-out to reporter Jeremy Rogalski, I think is how you pronounce the name, and this is local reporting. This is why we so desperately need local reporting. Yes. I know people are like, well, who gives? Who cares about Coffee City, Texas? No one cares about Coffee City, Texas. It's such a small town, right. whatever, but again, this is kind of emblematic of what happens when police are allowed to operate in a way where they have no supervision or accountability. And this reporter comes into town and is like, huh, something's not right here, especially when he starts looking at these 50 police officers. Many of them had been fired for misconduct elsewhere. I think at least a dozen of them had actually been convicted of crimes. Wow. And so he sat down with the chief and the chief has problems too. But let's just get to the report. 
Coffee City, Texas. A dot on the map with barely 250 residents has a police force of 50 officers, five times the number of cops than any other Texas town its size. And that's not the only thing unusual or odd. Turns out there are a half dozen full-time Coffee City police officers who don't even work in Coffee City, Texas. Instead, they work from home, more than three hours and nearly 200 miles away in Houston. It's hard to believe that that is happening. Greg Freeman is a Sam Houston State criminal justice professor. I've never seen anything like that. There are a, a hundred questions that come to my mind. Who are these officers? This internal email shows they're part of a warrant division. It reads, there is no need to go to Coffee City because you will be spending 95% of your time on the phone, calling people who have outstanding warrants and collecting failure to appear fines. And because it's a full-time position, there's an added perk. It gives them the ability to go work on an extra job. Coffee City Chief John J. Portillo concedes they're on the books as full-time because state law only allows full-time cops to work extra security jobs. At this Houston apartment complex, some Coffee City warrant officers do just that and make more than $50 an hour. They work uh, two, three days a week, four days a week. But is it all above board? The warrant division is a performance-based division, and officers' pay is based on the failure to appears they collect. They're basically bounty hunters in a way. Freeman says that amounts to a commission for collecting fines. It doesn't make any sense. From an ethical perspective, it, it just screams questions about the legitimacy of what they're doing. That's because state law requires full-time peace officers to get paid at least at the federal minimum wage. But again, at the Coffee City Warrant Division... The court gives them $150 for each warrant that they clear. So they don't earn a salary apart from that $150? No, sir. No, sir. Ahead. Correct. Correct. Okay. Is that legal? I believe so. Two days after our interview, Coffee City PD changed course, sending out this email to warrant detectives that said, due to unforeseen difficulties, the program has been suspended until such time as I can make sure that we are in compliance with labor laws. So whose job is it to police the police? The Department of Public Safety enforces any extra job violations. The Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, or TCOL, has the power to suspend or revoke a peace officer's license. That agency confirms to us it does have an open investigation into the Coffee City Police Department. Guys. That interview raising a lot of eyebrows, Jeremy. Thank you. Sure. And this isn't the only issue. I mean, this was like an almost 12-minute investigative report. And the the chief that you heard being interviewed there has quadrupled the size of the police department since he took over in April 2021. But he also has a problematic background in that he had a 2004 DWI charge in Florida that he didn't disclose when he applied for his job. And it's because there was an active warrant out for his arrest and he was asked about this during the interview with this with this reporter wow and he 
you had various responses that it was like more than 10 years old or whatever. But an act of warrant. Yeah. And so after the sit down with the reporter the next day, he had, I believe, hired an attorney and responded to that warrant, to that charge. So this entire police department is a complete mess. There's corruption all over the place and it completely stinks. Listen, it should tell you something that as soon as the press starts poking around, all of a sudden that division of their police department is shut down. His his warrant his active warrant situation is solved all of a sudden it's it's back the blue even when they're acting flouting the law acting in violation of the law is this legal to do uh i think so it's not a promising response <laughs> not a promising response at all not something you want to hear from a police chief <laughs> just remarkable in that in our country cops are allowed to get away i mean with murder I say that literally and figuratively, but just with no no scrutiny whatsoever are allowed to just do as they please. 50 people working for a tiny town's police department is ludicrous. This guy should be out of a job yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So again, shout out to KHOU's Jeremy Rogowski mm-hmm. for that report about Coffee City, Texas. Staying on theme of law enforcement, of course, Donald Trump turned himself in. He surrendered, even though he's selling Never Surrender merch. <laughs> he surrendered in Fulton County, Georgia yeah. to be to be to have his mugshot taken. And he gave this interview with, with Greg Kelly on Newsmax afterward. And it was pretty enraging to listen to because when they brought him into the jail, he did not come into contact with any inmates. Right. It was it was pro, it was a planned process where he was not going to be in contact with inmates. The interactions that he had with officials that are employed there was going to be minimal. He got white glove treatment without a doubt. But you wouldn't know that hearing from him when he describes his own experience in the jail. What was the experience like today in in jail? Terrible experience. Uh, I came in. I was treated very nicely, but uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. I took a mugshot, which I never heard the words mugshot. That wasn't didn't teach me that at the Wharton School of Finance. And uh, I have to go through a process. It's uh, election interference. You know that better than anybody. You cover it so well. You just a fantastic job. I have to tell you for the listeners, oh. fantastic job, Greg. But. It's a very sad experience, and it's a very sad day for our country. This is a... I have words. I have the best words. Just mugshot wasn't one of those words. I didn't know that word. Yeah. You I... didn't know what a mugshot was? <laughs> you abject dipshit. Shut shut up. They didn't teach him that at the Wharton School, School of, of Finance. Finance. You know, it is funny because we were actually recently around someone in their 70s, and... I'm saying that kind of weird. I don't know. We met someone and they were well, in their 70s. Well, you're trying to be vague about who the person is. And they started like talking about stories from high school, like when they were debating people in high school and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is like a glimpse into my future. I'm for sure, if I make it to 70, we don't know based on the genes, <laughs> but I'm if I am lucky enough to make it to 70, that is absolutely going to be me talking about political debates I had with people yeah. when I was a kid. Well, because when you're 70, you you probably, like, what show were we watching yesterday? Oh, we're re-watching Modern Family right now. Yeah. And it was one when the dad, Jay, the Ed O'Neill character, 
Ed O'Neill's character, Jay, he was talking about he's old now and he got Botox some episode or whatever. And he's like, yeah, but I feel like I'm 40, but I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that guy? Mm-hmm. That's probably how it is when you're 70. Yeah, for sure. You feel like a like everything's intact. You have all these memories from when you were a kid and you look in the mirror and you're like, Ugh, I'm melting like a candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, here's why this this line from Donald Trump about his horrible experience in the jail is particularly insulting. Eight people have been found dead in the Fulton County Jail since January. It's a remarkable situation in the Fulton County Jail that needs to be addressed again, you know, weeks ago, months ago, years ago. And, you know, Republicans are only now kind of talking about it because Donald Trump happened to brush up against the system there. Right. And the most recent instance is Samuel Lawrence, a 34-year-old, who sent a 12-page handwritten letter to federal officials asking for help with the conditions in the Fulton County Jail. Mm. And his letter was received on August 22nd, and he was found dead on August 26th. Wow. So this is a terrible jail. It's way over capacity, I think approaching 1,000 people over capacity. And the conditions are horrifying. And that's the case in many jails across the country for people who have not been to jail or who have not worked with the population. I have worked with incarcerated individuals in my capacity as a therapist. And a common theme that I would hear is how deplorable the conditions were and how terrible, how terribly they were treated when they were incarcerated. In a different municipality than Atlanta, than Fulton County. Right. So another thing that Trump is doing, we, we talked about in the debate episode where Vivek is kind of running to be Trump's VP. Yeah. And I think that you see this come through in how Trump interacts with Vivek when he's commenting on him from afar, because rather than attacking him, he's actually heaping praise onto him. As far as the stage last night, I thought uh, Vivek, as we say, did very well. Actually, his name is Vivek, like cake. But I thought he was very good. I especially like where I said I was the greatest president in his lifetime and long beyond, that's pretty good. I said, are you sure he's running against me? But I thought he was very good. Uh- it is the weird thing about Donald Trump that he doesn't try to... Like he He's he's really... All the cards are on the table there. Well, he said nice things about me. I, of course I like him. It, there's no, no critical eye whatsoever. It's, if you do this, it's transactional. I'm going to do this. And no one ever questions it. Yeah. But it really puts into light exactly what's happening right now, that Vivek, Vivek, whatever, is absolutely running to be Donald Trump's vice president. He knows he has no hope, no chance of of doing it on his own to become president of the United States. And he also knows exactly where the rubber hits the road, that he's going to give cover for Donald Trump against accusations of white supremacy and racism if he's got uh, the, the one of only two, I believe, brown candidate three brown candidates black or brown candidates on the ticket or well, you know in the in the race one thing that we talked about on the debate episode two episodes ago was vivek's um claim that he pulled himself up by his bootstraps yeah. and he comes from a poor background yada yada and of course that's not true his family comes from the upper caste system in india and his mom was a doctor his dad was an engineer and he actually, it's it's been reported that he accepted a scholarship, a George Soros scholarship, and the year that he accepted this scholarship, I believe to go to law school, 
He reported $2.2 million in income while he was accepting a scholarship. Wow. And this topic came up on The Five, you know, Fox News show with the four conservative commentators and the one liberal commentator. Formerly co-hosted by uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle. And there's going to be an interaction here between the liberal commentator, Jessica. I can't remember her last name right now. Sarloff or something? That's close. Yeah. And Jesse Waters. And I want you to hear, you know, Jesse Waters, he's constantly banging on about homeless people and how they're terrible and need to be removed from society. He has zero compassion. Zero Zero. compassion. And I want you to hear his response to Vivek taking 2.2, taking a scholarship when his income was millions of dollars was strange and I do think that as time goes on lots of this is bubbling up with Vivek these little pieces of like the 9-11 comments and the audio has been released that he was you know he took a Soros funded scholarship he was already a millionaire when he took the money to go to law school which seems pretty deceitful I think people are going to start digging into him on the Nikki Haley front wait wait if someone gives you a scholarship and you have a million dollars in the bank you don't take it two million dollars you don't take it my understanding is that you weren't supposed to get it if you could actually afford to go. Oh, oh so like he's not was, worthy of the scholarship. <laughs> well, there are scholarships that are based on merit, and then need. there's need. There's need so, versus merit. Correct. So he took a need one. Who knows? It's not like he put his checked off a box that wasn't authentic on his form. No one Here we go. That. Yes, Elizabeth Warren <laughs> said that she was Native American. I got that. Okay. Imagine these people who will talk about homeless people who are living in the streets, who have uh, have to scrape by to get food, to get something to drink. Yeah. And they try to talk about how they are living the high life when they have access to like a washer and dryer or right. something, you know? And they they don't believe that homeless people should get anything, should get any kind of benefit, should get any kind of assistance. And then when they hear that a millionaire is taking a scholarship, a scholarship they don't need because they're a millionaire. Right. (laughs) They're like, yeah, who cares? You should take as much as you can. Right. Yeah. Imagine all of the conversations that you've heard over your lifetime about people who are recipients of welfare. They don't really need it. They're taking what is not theirs, what they're not owed. Yes. And then batting just who cares that they're taking a scholarship that could go to another i mean when you have a a pool of money that gets divvied up and given to scholarship recipients it's not endless absolutely someone didn't get that scholarship who could have used it instead vivek got it the millionaire and took away an opportunity from somebody else how much more evidence do you need that these people just have contempt for the poor that's right they just, they have contempt. They don't care. They don't want them to be assisted. They don't want them to receive help. Yeah. Because it's, you know, rich people should take as much as they can, get as many benefits as they can. The rich people who don't need the benefits, right. they well, already even, have the benefits. Even when they're doling out tax benefits, tax cuts, tax right. breaks, right. it's no, poor people, what? Oh, yes, the rich, give them everything. Give them, they deserve it. They're job creators. It's, it is, it's a fundamental contempt for, it's classism. They're, they're contemptuous of poor people. They're contemptuous of people who are in need. And they want to give, give, give everything to people who don't need because they have already. Right. 
So in response to the Republican debate, the Biden campaign released a new ad specifically focused on the Republican candidates and their response to abortion. Reproductive health care decisions are among the most personal a woman will ever make. They are choices that should be made by you and your doctor. And the last people who should be involved are these guys. First of all, I'm the one that got rid of Roe v. Wade. Florida Governor DeSantis quietly signed into law one of the nation's strictest abortion bans. Governor DeSantis, you signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. I believe in a culture of life. If I were president of the United States, I would literally sign the most conservative pro-life legislation that they can get through Congress. You believe in punishment for abortion, yes or no, as a principle? Uh, the answer is that... There has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. President Biden and Vice President Harris are determined to restore Roe v. Wade, and they will never allow a national abortion ban to become law. As long as they are in office, decisions about your body will be made by you, not by them. That's a great way to end the show, uh, taking into consideration how we started it with that email. Um, and it really puts into perspective just how important this particular election is because they are right now, the Republican Party, some will not say it, some will dance around the question. And the fact that they're dancing around the question about a federal abortion ban lets you know what the agenda is, that it is on the table, it is in the cards. And when they do get power, they're back in the executive or when they take a full majority in both houses of the, of the Congress, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a federal abortion ban where states like California, New York, here in Washington, D.C. are controlled by the federal government and abortion will be stopped. Yeah, I do. I do think the ad is good. I think that it is obviously important to run on abortion rights because they are popular. The majority of Americans support abortion rights, especially when they are seeing how damaging the effects of abortion bans are across the country. Yeah. I do think they could have gone harder and specifically highlighted personal stories of how damaging the abortion bans have been, specifically like the recent Time article about the seventh grader who was raped, unable to obtain an abortion, and is starting seventh grade as a as a mother. Right. These are the stories that need to be put front and center for everyone because we need to see these damaging effects of of abortion bans, not just in the form of maternal health care deserts, of doctors fleeing these red states, inability to draw new talent in the form of medical students to red states, not just those issues, but also how people are being prevented from traveling to obtain abortions, like seventh graders, like children that are raped and abused and then forced into a situation where they have a child yeah i I, on the on the element of it about going harder um it's definitely a problem within democratic politics that they they have a tendency to gravitate toward milk toastism of not being aggressive in their advertising and i would hope given what is at stake with this election that come primary season like when we're deep in it in 2024 uh, that they're gonna they're gonna start going hard. I mean, it, it makes me want to put my head together with you and others in the audience or whatever to create like Lincoln Project style advertisement. Just put on YouTube and hope that they they go. You write some scripts, do some voiceovers, attach some some video to it. You know, it, it's on us too. Um, it's certainly on the candidates. Absolutely, I'm not taking away from that. But everybody has an opportunity to be an activist 
this particular election cycle. I also want to say that in response to that Time article, the National Abortion Federation made a statement and said that that is that that situation that happened to that young girl Mm -hmm. could have been prevented if there was widespread access to abortion, obviously. Yeah. But in lieu of that happening because of Republicans, the National Abortion Federation exists. There is a national abortion hotline. And you can find information about this at ProChoice.org. They have a hotline, 1-800-772-9100. You can also go to the website and chat with them from 9 to 5. This hotline is a resource for people who are unable to afford an abortion or unable to afford the travel to obtain an abortion. When you call this hotline... You say that you need help finding an abortion. They help you figure it out, and they can also give you funding, not only for the procedure, but also for the travel. That is the purpose of this organization. And I think if more people knew about it, then, you know, they obviously can't prevent all of these situations from happening. They cannot prevent it, given just the scale of the problem that we have here with these abortion bans. But if more people had access, they could be dealing with the aftermath. Yeah, they could definitely help. So we're going to put that in the show notes. Be sure to check that out and share it with your community because they need to know. Everyone needs to know Spread the word. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Speaking of spreading the word, you can call 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We'd love to hear from you on these or any other topics that are on your mind. We always encourage that. We would also encourage you, speaking of encouragement, Brittany, to support the show. We are almost exclusively a Patreon-supported operation here. And with your help, we could grow and expand the operation. Uh, and we would appreciate your 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 yeah, contributing to the production of this program. We need a wider table. We, we're getting a wider table. we got to figure <laughs> it out. It's, we're too close to each That's other. That's one of the things that we need is... <laughs> Just letting you know, like, what, what the assistant... It, you could help us have a wider table here. Well, it would help with camera angle. Anyway, now you're really... You hate talking about how the sausage is made. And then you directly go to talking about how the sausage is made. Patreon.com slash Podcast is where you can go to find out how to support the show. If you're watching on YouTube, you can also become a YouTube channel member. Click the join button below um, for $1.99. You can help support and produce what we do here. There's a super thanks button. And again, of course, as always, like I said, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. We're going to see you next time as always with an interview with a, with a guest on another host, another podcast, or just with a regular news and comment episode. And next time we're going to break out the new drop that longtime listener Marcus Suggested. I am the worst. I am the worst. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt.